you got your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to Daniel chapter number 7. And uh, we've been studying through Daniel on Sunday morning during Sunday school. And the first six chapters of Daniel are primarily uh, historical. It's telling the story of uh, Daniel and his ministry down there in Babylon and then uh, in Persia and his three friends and their excursion into the fiery furnace and Daniel's into the lion den and all of those things that give us instructions on uh, instructions and examples on how to live as God's people in an ungodly land. And so we saw that from them and how God watches over his people and he prospers his people uh, whenever they don't compromise, but they live by uh, godly principles. But as we get to chapter number seven, there is a turn that takes place uh, in Daniel. And the last half of the book of Daniel is primarily prophetic. And so it starts talking about uh, from Daniel's perspective, uh, we, we we saw last week, we started this last week, and from Daniel's perspective, he was living through the, the kingdom of Babylon, and then he got to see the fall of Babylon, and he got to see the Medes and the Persians come in and defeat Babylon in one night. And uh, Babylon fell there while Belshazzar was having his drunken feast and celebrating the gods of silver and gold and mocking the god of Israel and Darius the Mede come riding in, uh, riding into the city through the the river that uh, was supposed to come into the city. They diverted the waters, rode in on the dry riverbed, and took over the place. And so that was how Babylon fell for such a uh, vast kingdom and such a proud kingdom that we see under Nebuchadnezzar. Can you imagine uh, the end of the kingdom being like that? The king and all of his men drunk while the enemy rides in and takes the town basically or the city uh, basically unopposed that'd be embarrassing wouldn't it caught them while they were sleeping that'd be almost like being on guard duty and they the enemy sneaks up on you while you're asleep uh, just a thought that came to my mind i remember whenever uh, i was a, a teenager my brother went out hunting with my dad and he was probably early teens maybe 13 at the time and my dad set him down on a log gave him a gun and they went different directions. And my dad said, I want to go around this way. I'll jump deer out to you. You shoot it whenever it runs through in front of you. Well, in the meantime, my brother fell asleep. And there was a giant buck that came up in front of him. Great big antlers, just a trophy. And it almost came up close enough to lick him in the face. And he was asleep. And my dad's sitting back watching it. He can't shoot the deer because, you know, my brother's right there next to it. And so he fell asleep while the deer was there. And so we told that story. And now it's... People in another country know about it. My brother, uh, the mighty hunter that he is, got licked in the face by Bambi while he's asleep. So anyway, this is kind of what happened to, Bab to Babylon. While uh, Belshazzar and his uh, all of his leaders were partying it up, they lost their kingdom. And so anyway, uh, back to what I was talking about, where Daniel was at in all of this is he was straddling between the Babylonian and the Medo-Persian empires. We said last week that Daniel would have been up in his 80s at the time that uh, Babylon fell and that Persia had came into power. And so we usually think of him whenever he goes into the lion's den as being maybe middle aged, but he would have been an old man by that time. And so as we're reading these things, Daniel is an old man. His life is behind him. Jeremiah that prophesied uh, before the captivity has long been dead. Uh, Daniel has been entrusted with uh, his writings and with probably much of the Old Testament uh, writings. Daniel would have had those. And so he had studied them. He was familiar with them. And God was revealing things to Daniel. And so we said with Nebuchadnezzar's dream and with Daniel's visions, both of them were laying out uh, centuries of history uh, before Daniel. And Daniel was at the front of this. He was still back at Babylon and the beginning of the Medo-Persian Empire, and God revealed to him the, the kingdom that would come after the Medo-Persian Empire, which was the Greeks, and that would have been almost 200 years after Daniel's death, okay? And then another 180 years after that, the Greeks were in power for about 180 years. Then the Romans took over, and then the Romans we find, or that's what we're going to look at today, uh, would have ruled for around 500 years before they didn't get conquered, but 
corruption from within caused the decline of society and they just kind of dissolved and kind of went dormant and we're going to find that they're going to come back in the end times. And so what we're seeing with all of this that is so amazing is that Daniel was telling about all of these things before they happened. That's why we call it prophecy, right? And so what are the reasons, we looked at this a little bit last week, what are the reasons why we study prophecy? Okay, we want to know what's coming. If, if God is, uh, saw fit to reveal to us ahead of time what he's going to do, it only makes sense for us to find out, right? If he's willing to show us, we ought to be willing to check into it, right? What are other good reasons to study prophecy? Okay. Prepare ourselves, motivate ourselves a little bit. What are some bad reasons why people study prophecy? Just to make it interesting here. No, really, that's a good reason. That's a reason, but it's a good reason. Because prophecy proves the existence of God, doesn't it? And so a very good reason to study prophecy is just like we're saying here with Daniel. He's writing this before it ever happened. And he is so precise in the way that he's writing. And he is so accurate in the things that he is writing that for many years, and I said this last week, I know. But for many years, uh, people said that this was a forgery. That Daniel didn't actually write it. But instead, someone else wrote it after all these things come to pass. And so they said that it was just passed off as being a prophecy because of how accurate it was. Until they found copies of the book of Daniel that predated the fulfillments of the prophecies and showed that it was indeed written by Daniel. And it was written whenever it said that it was written, that it was legitimate prophecies. And so whenever we start studying prophecy, it gives us confidence in the word of God. We see that it's not just human ideas or human thoughts. It's not just some book that men have written down, but it did indeed come from the mind of God. And so we see prophecies that have been fulfilled to the letter. And it's not this uh, broad prophesying like you see people do today that is very, very generalized and easy to fulfill. But instead, it's prophecies that are extremely uh, precise in the way that they predict things. And so it's one thing to say there's going to be a king that conquers a country, but it's another thing to say that his name is going to be Cyrus and he's going to do it in this year and he's going to be from this country 200 years before he's born. Big difference, right? And so we, we increase our faith and our trust in God by reading through these prophecies and seeing the way that they've been fulfilled, right? Another thing that we could, another reason why we could study prophecy is because if we can trust that God has fulfilled all of these so far, we can also know that he's going to fulfill the ones that have not yet been fulfilled, right? And so as we're looking at this in Daniel, a good bit of this prophecy has already been fulfilled, but some of it is still future tense. And so we can take great comfort in knowing that God's going to fulfill the rest of it just the same as he has already fulfilled what he has. Does it make sense to everybody? I ask about bad reasons to study prophecy. Okay. Uh, is there bad reasons? I'm trying to provoke you all to thought. Okay. So basically... Skeptics trying to pick it apart. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Okay. So if someone's skeptical and trying to pick it apart, uh, the funny thing is there's a lot of people who have tried that in the past and they end up becoming believers as a result of it, which is a great thing. I, I believe I said this last week, but a lot of people, it seems like they first get saved or they first get in church, and one of the first things they want to do is get into prophecy, Right? And so just to scratch an itch, so to say, uh, to uh, satisfy curiosity would be a better way to put it. Uh, would that be a good way, a good reason to study, study prophecy, just for the sake of satisfying curiosity? 
Some people have studied, not a very good reason. Some people have studied through prophecy trying to, uh, in a way, stroke their ego just to well themselves up with pride, thinking we know something that other people don't know. And then they go into it trying to uh, assign dates and uh, try to say things that the Bible doesn't actually say. Uh, there's been a lot of date setters that have made a mockery of Christianity. There's magazines and tabloids that have published some of the nonsense that people have written about uh, the prophecies that they've made and what they found in Scripture and things that weren't actually there. And so that's just out of pride and arrogance. So there's some bad reasons to study prophecy. But anyway, I just kind of wanted to look at that a little bit. Um, but as we're studying this, I want it to be something that's going to uh, grow our faith in God, in his sovereignty, his power, that he is able to make things happen, that he is in control. We're talking about empires, empires that span centuries, ones that covered much of uh, Europe, some of Asia, I'm not talking about little tiny countries or islands, but these were huge empires that take up large sections in our history books. And then we find God predicting them ahead of time, revealing them to his prophet and telling exactly how they are going to transition and go from one group to another, describing some of the characteristics of each of those empires, showing us that God knows what's up, what's going to happen, and God's also in control of it all. And so he knows the end from the beginning. And so if we serve that kind of a God, we can relax a little bit in our day-to-day -day lives. I think that God can handle our issues if he can uh, set countries and empires in place. If he can tell what's going to happen 2,000 years out from Daniel's lifetime, I think he knows what's going to happen tomorrow and ours, right? The Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so as we are studying the word of God, it should be uh, increasing our faith and our knowledge in the things of God and in God's ability. It should be increasing our faith in God's word, right? And so we need to get back, uh, back into this chapter this evening. And last week we covered the first three, uh, the first three kingdoms here, uh, that of Babylon and then of the Medo-Persian Empire. We saw there in verse 5. Uh, it's later on as well. And then the empire of Greece there in verse number six under Alexander and how it was going to uh, be broken, that Alexander was going to die at a young age and that his four generals were going to take over the empire. It would be split in four different ways. And then that comes down to, uh, we'll go ahead and start with verse number seven. And it says, and, uh, excuse me, verse seven, after this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible and strong exceedingly, and it had great iron teeth. It devoured and break in pieces and stamped the residue with the feet of it, and it was diverse from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another little horn, before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots. And behold, in his horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. I beheld till the thrones were cast down, and the Ancient of Days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head uh, like the pure wool. His throne was like uh, excuse me. His throne was like the fiery flame, and his wheels as burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth. From before him, thousand thousands ministered unto him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The judgment was set, and the books were open. I beheld then because of the voice of the great words which the horn spake, I beheld even till the, uh, till the beast was slain, and his body destroyed, and given to the burning flame. As concerning the rest of the beast, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and time. I saw the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him, and there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. 
His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. And so this was Daniel's night dream, his night visions, his dreams, if you will. And we said last week, if you had dreams like this, you'd think something's wrong, right? These beasts that he dreamed about, he dreamed about lions and bears and a leopard. And then this fourth beast that we read about tonight, it just calls it a beast. He doesn't have a description for it. He doesn't have an animal that it's like. We can look in Revelation chapter 13, and it gives uh, the lion, the leopard, and the bear all three as parts of the beast. It was going to have the mouth of the lion. It was going to have the feet of the bear. It was going to have the body of the leopard. And so it was going to be encompassing all of these other nations that has come before it, these other empires that has come before it. But anyway, we said last week that and Nebuchadnezzar had this dream of all of these kingdoms with the metal man, the head of gold, the uh, shoulders and the arms of silver, the belly of brass, the uh, thighs and the legs of uh, iron and the feet and the toes of iron mixed with clay. And we said that that was from man's perspective. Man looked at it, he saw it as pleasant, as valuable, as uh, something to be desired. But Daniel, whenever he saw it for what it really was, he saw it as violent beasts, ones that were devouring, ones that were uh, stamping into pieces, ones that were shedding much blood. And so he saw a whole different perspective of the empires in time from what Nebuchadnezzar did. Nebuchadnezzar looked at it and said, oh, look how great these empires are. And Daniel looked at it and he said, look how terrifying they are. It's a big difference, isn't it? If you study in the history books, a lot of times they will bring out the, the empires of history and the different countries and the different rulers, and they will paint them as if they are uh, something great. They will look at the exploits. They'll look at the lands that were conquered. They'll look at the things that they accomplished. But we see here that Daniel seeing the heart and the spirit behind them and seeing what has powered these kingdoms, and it is wicked and it is... Uh, it is a ferocious beast is what he's seeing here. And so as we look at the description here, we see two different kingdoms in the passage that I read. We saw the first one was that beast, but it says that in verse number nine, he beheld till the thrones were cast down and the ancient of days did set. So those thrones were done away with and then God's throne came and took over. And it talks about the fire proceeding out and the judgment being set and then there is one as the Son of Man that comes. And who is the Son of Man? It's Christ. It says that he comes in the clouds. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? And then the Ancient of Days, that's another name for God, gives to the Son of Man this kingdom. And we said uh, last week, obviously, we see Jesus Christ in the Old Testament, right? So the Son of Man is going to come receive the kingdom from the Ancient of Days, and that kingdom is going to last how long? Forever. And so the reason I went through all of that is this is telling us that this is a history of what has happened and what has yet to happen, right? It's kind of like Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol on the, the ghost of the things that are ghost of the past and the present and the things yet to come, right? This is what was going on here. He's telling him what is going to happen all the way until Jesus takes over the throne and he rules and reigns forever over a sinless world, one that has been purged, purified through the fires of judgment, and that he is going to reign over a perfect creation for all eternity. And so that encompasses everything, right? And so that tells us as Christians, as we are sitting here in the middle of all this, okay, did that ever strike you that what we're reading here, we're in the middle of? Some of it's already happened. Some of it has yet to happen. And so we're in between. And so we are waiting for these final stages. And what we'll look at here in a minute, we're waiting for them to happen. And as we study through the rest of the book of Daniel, we're going to find that some of the things that it's talking about are looking very... Uh, very familiar. They are starting to take place on the world stage and actors are moving into place, if you will, or characters are moving into place. And the stage is being set for the things that Daniel saw 
over 2,500 years ago, or around 2,500 years ago. That's pretty crazy, isn't it? That God was telling him these things 2,500 years plus before they happen. And so I want to get into this um, and just kind of pick it apart a little bit. If we just look at the visions and dreams, we say, okay, not sure what's going on there, but Daniel, as he is hearing it for the first time, and there hasn't been a couple thousand years for people to talk about it, discuss it, figure it out, Daniel's saying, what in the world does this have to do with? What is this all about? And it says a couple different times that he was troubled because of the visions. And you probably would be too if, this, if you had dreams like this. But he was troubled because of them. In verse 15, it says, I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit in the midst of my body, and the visions of my head troubled me. I came near unto one of them that stood by and asked him the truth of all this. So he told me and made me know the interpretation of these things. These great beasts, which are four, are four kings which shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever and ever, even forever and ever. Then I would know the truth of the fourth beast, which was diverse from all the others, exceeding dreadful, whose teeth were of iron, his nails of brass, which devoured, break in pieces, and stamped the residue with his feet. And of the ten horns that were in his head, and of the other which came up, and before whom three fell, even of that horn that had eyes and a mouth that spake very great things, whose look was more stout than his fellows, I beheld in the same horn made war against the saints and prevailed against them. Now, if you were to illustrate this, if you were to put this in an animation into a movie or something, this would be pretty wild, right? There's a beast and ten horns come up and then another horn comes up and he gets rid of three horns and then he begins to speak and he's covered with eyes and has a mouth. We're talking about a horn on top of a beast's head, right? This is weird stuff. And so what does it all mean? This is what Daniel wants to know. I beheld the same horn made war with the saints and prevailed against them until the ancient of days came and judgment was given to the saints of the Most High and the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom. Thus he said, the fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon the earth which shall be diverse from all kingdoms and shall devour the whole earth and shall tread it down and break it in pieces. And the ten horns out of his kingdom are ten kings that shall arise and another shall rise after them, and he shall be diverse from the first, and he shall subdue three kings. And he shall speak great words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and think to change times and laws, and they shall be given into his hand until a time and times and dividing of times. But the judgment shall sit, and they shall take away his dominion, and consume and to destroy it unto the end. And the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High, whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Hitherto is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my uh, cogitations much troubled me, and my countenance changed in me, but I kept the matter in my heart. Okay, and I read quite a bit there, but I wanted to go over uh, all of what the, this being, this angel revealed to Daniel. But whenever Daniel had this vision, it says, verse 15, he was troubled. He looked and close by him was a being of some sort, probably an angel. And he spoke to this angel and said, what does all of this mean? What's going on here? And then the angel gives him an answer that doesn't satisfy him. You ever ask for an explanation and not be happy with the explanation? Doesn't go into enough detail enough, right? And so that's what happened here is the angel, whenever he asked him, he says the great beast was four kingdoms, and then God destroyed the four kingdoms, and then he reigned. The end. That was a really short interpretation, wasn't it? But Daniel says, I'm not happy with that. And so in verse number uh, 19, it says, I wanted to know the truth of this fourth beast. Out of these four beasts that I saw, this fourth one stuck out to me. It was more fierce than the others. It was more frightening than the others. And he could tell there was something about this beast 
that was important. And he says, I want to know about the beast. Yes, you said that the Son of Man comes, that he destroys the beast, that judgment is done, and that he's going to reign with the saints forever. But what is the deal with this fourth beast? And so as this angel describes these things, he tells us that the horns aren't literal horns. Remember how I said whenever we're interpreting scripture, uh, we interpret literally unless it's intended to be figuratively, and then the Bible tells us that. And so it tells us here that the horns aren't literally horns, but instead that they are kings with kingdoms. And so he says that there's going to be this great beast, which is the fourth empire, that is the Roman Empire, that defeated Greece back uh, in the century before Jesus Christ was on the earth. Okay, And so he defeated, uh, the Roman Empire defeated uh, Greece then. They were the ones that were in charge whenever Jesus came. It was the Roman soldiers that crucified Jesus, right? And then the Roman Empire continued through the 300s AD, and we have Constantine that supposedly converted to Christianity and converted the Roman Empire to Christianity. And then it continued another, uh, around 100 years after Constantine. And it didn't end necessarily. It didn't get conquered. It didn't get destroyed. It just fizzled out. And we find that this Roman Empire... Um, that this Roman Empire has went dormant for a season. So what Daniel is hearing from this, uh, this angel here and what he is seeing in this dream is that this fourth beast conquers, it destroys for a time, which has already happened, right? But then there is going to be ten horns that rise up out of that beast. This is the part that hasn't happened yet. And so the Roman Empire has laid dormant. It kind of divested its, in, uh, its energies and things. And instead of being a political empire, now it is a religious empire. Because whenever the Roman Empire declined, the Roman Church ascended, didn't it? And so you study the Roman Catholic Church from the time that uh, the Roman Empire kind of disappeared, the Roman Catholic Church took over, and for the past 1,500 years, they have wielded great power. We find if we go ahead and look into uh, Revelation, starting with chapter 13 through about chapter number 19, you're going to find that there is going to be a political power and a religious power both that exist then. You're going to find that the Antichrist is going to have a one-world uh a one-world uh, government, and also a one-world religion. And so we're already seeing some of these things come together as the ecumenical movement is drawing uh, people from all different religions and denominations and groups and trying to bring them together on a common front. And that's what's going to happen in, uh, in the times of the last days, whenever the Antichrist is, is in control and there is a one-world power, one-world religion. But these are things that are being uh, being revealed to Daniel. And chapter number seven is kind of a, a brief overview. And then he's going to go deeper uh, into some of the details in chapter nine and 10 and 11 and 12. Uh, and so we'll see that more as we go along. I don't want to really get ahead of myself here. But anyway, these 10 horns that will come up will be 10 nations, 10 kingdoms that arise out of the prior uh, Roman Empire. So if you look at the land that the Roman Empire once had, once inhabited, out of that in the last days, there will arise 10 nations and 10 rulers. Okay, a lot of people have tried to, uh, and maybe even myself, I don't know, have tried to say that it's going to be the entirety of the Roman Empire. But what we see here is that these ten horns will arrive or will arise out of that empire. So there's no guarantee that it will be the entire Roman Empire revived. People have tried to say, well, it's the European Union. Well, the problem is there's more than ten kingdoms there. But somewhere there's going to be ten kingdoms that's going to arise, and there's going to be one guy, the little horn, that starts... Uh, starts arriving, or starting, not arriving, arising to a position of prominence. 
And he is going to take out three of those kings, either by diplomacy, which I think may happen. There'll be three countries that say, hey, this guy really knows what he's doing. We'll join together. And so he's going to depose three kings. He's going to combine three kingdoms. And he's going to use that power to influence the other seven kingdoms. And he is going to reign over all ten of those kingdoms of the, the old Roman Empire. Okay, so these are things that haven't happened yet, but are they things that we can see happening today? Are you starting to see some of the things being set on the stage today where European countries are combining, where they're looking for leadership and uh, uh, they're looking for people who can come in and work solutions and some of these problems that are coming up on the world stage today are puzzling many of our greatest minds, right? And so if there is a great mind that arises above the rest of them, whenever we look at this little horn that has a big mouth and a bunch of eyes, the eyes in Scripture uh, relate to knowledge and understanding. Okay? And so this is going to be a man with great knowledge, great wisdom, great understanding that is going to come on the world stage and that he is going to start out and take over three kingdoms, three nations, and then he's going to be put over all ten of those nations. And eventually from there, he is going to be able to set out and uh, set up a, a dictatorship, if you will, over the entire world. And that ruler is the Antichrist. Okay? And so this is what's being revealed to Daniel all the way back then. And so the first part of this, the beast, has already came about. It's already happened but these ten horns that are going to arise out of the beast, this is what the world is looking for right now. Okay? And just a couple little things here, and we'll look at them more in chapter number nine, but there's going to be a, an agreement that this, uh, this little horn is going to make with Israel. It's going to set off the great tribulation period. Uh, like I said, we'll see that in uh, chapter number nine. Yeah, chapter number nine. But for many years, people scoffed at the idea that the Antichrist was going to make a peace treaty with the nation of Israel because the nation of Israel didn't exist. And so in 1948, the nation of Israel came back into existence for the first time since the first century. Israel had been off of the, the map for over 1,800 years. And so people looked at Bible prophecy and they said, well, we can't take this literally because Israel is not a nation. Not only that, but we look back at World War I and the nations throughout Europe were very much at odds with one another. The previous um, Roman Empire was very uh, fractured. You study through history through the 15, 1600s, and it was nation versus nation. They were constantly battling and fighting with one another. But guess what else happened in 1948 besides Israel becoming a nation? That was whenever the seed of the European Union was first, uh, was first started. And in 1948, that was whenever they first had a federation of European states that was formed, laying the groundwork for our current European Union. And so not only did Israel become a nation that year, but the groundwork was set for a revived Roman Empire in the same year. It's pretty interesting, isn't it? And that was within the past century. That was in the time that people living, to, some people still living today saw it happen. Okay? That was three years before your grandpa was born. So that's pretty cool. Things happening in recent history, paving the way, making way for these prophecies that Daniel is seeing and having revealed to him 2,500 years ago. Okay? And so anyway, um, it tells us here that verse 20, and of the ten horns that were on his head, and of the other which came up and before whom the or before whom three fell, 
even of that horn that had eyes and a mouth that spake very great things, whose look was more stout than his fellows. I beheld the same horn, made war with the saints, and prevailed against them. And so if we study in the book of Revelation, we find that the Antichrist, in the time of the tribulation, is going to persecute all those who believe in God, all those who proclaim the name of God, all those who are Christians during that time. There will be people saved during the time of the tribulation. And so he's going to persecute them. Many of them are going to be martyred for their faith. And it says in another place here that he is going to uh, wear out the saints. And so that's what he's going to do. But it says that uh, they shall be given into his hand. The saints during that time will be given into his hand until a time and times and the dividing of times. Well, what does that mean? Well, we find it uh, actually defined in other places. Another place it tells us it's 42 months. It is three and a half years. It is half of that seven-year tribulation period. And so a time, that's one, one period of time, right? And times, that's plural. Two more and a dividing of times. That's the half. Okay? So that's what that means. And so what's going to happen, and we'll see this in chapter number nine, what's going to happen in the tribulation period is that uh, it begins with the peace treaty that is set out by the Antichrist. I believe that the church will be raptured before this happens. We see that in 2 Thessalonians chapter number two. The church will be taken out. The Antichrist will make a his uh, big debut. He will sign this peace treaty with Israel for seven years, uh, being able to do what no one else had been able to do before. There's been this cry for peace in the Middle East forever, right? And it's going to look like he accomplishes it with this peace treaty. And for three and a half years, things are going to go okay. He's going to be amassing power. He's going to be conquering nations. Uh, his, uh, his reign, his power, all those things are going to increase during that time. But at that halfway point, at three and a half years, he is going to break that treaty. He's going to demand worship. He's going to set himself down in the temple in Jerusalem to be worshiped. And it is at that time that he begins his persecution that becomes or begins his time of attack against those people who serve God. And it says here in this uh, verse 25 that they are going to be given into his hand for a time and times in the dividing of times. So the last three and a half years, God is going to allow him to persecute and to chase after the children of God, those who have been saved during that period. He's going to allow the Antichrist basically full reign, full reign to do his deeds there and bring about destruction on this earth. But his days are limited, and Satan's days are always limited. He's able to uh, bring a little bit of turmoil and problems, but at the end, God sets things right. We see that in Job's life, right? In Job's life, Satan comes and wreaks havoc on Job and takes away everything that he has and kills his children and uh, covers his body in sores, but it doesn't last forever. And in the time whenever God says enough is enough, God came and cleansed Job's body, restored Job's possessions, and gave him a greater understanding of himself, right? And Satan was sent packing. Same thing is going to happen during this tribulation as well. And it says, um, let's see here. Going back to verse number nine, I beheld till the thrones were cast down and the ancient of days did set, whose garments was white as snow and the hair of his head like the pure wool and thrown like a fiery flame and his wheels as burning fire, fiery stream, issued and came forth from before him. Whenever we see fire in scripture, it is a picture of judgment. Okay. And so God sitting on his throne, he is executing judgment on Satan and his followers, on this beast, on the Antichrist, on all those who have rejected him. And so he's going to be executing judgment. And so this is whenever everything comes to an end. This is what the angel talks about in Verse number 18, but the saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. 
this is what's going to happen. And so just to kind of tie all of this together, because we've been leaping back and forth and we've been seeing between Daniel having the dream, him thinking about the dream and kind of restating the dream, and this angel interpreting the dream for him, we've just been kind of back and forth on it. But what Daniel is telling us from this passage and what God is telling Daniel from this passage is that these four kingdoms were going to come to pass. The fourth one, the Roman Empire, would rule for its time. It wouldn't be destroyed, but it would come back up later on, these ten horns. And this was going to be in the last days. This was going to be right before God returns and sets everything right. These ten rulers were going to come, these ten kingdoms. The Antichrist was going to end up being elevated over all of them. He was going to uh, get a power over the earth. It says that he was going to uh, be speaking blasphemies. He was going to be speaking great words against God. It says that he's going to try to change the times and the laws. That's getting rid of every kind of knowledge or any kind of reference to God. Whenever you talk about changing the times, you realize how much of the things that we have is related to God. Why do we have a seven-day week? God created all things in seven days, right? Why do we have, let's see, um, why do we have the holidays that we have? Why do we have the calendar that we have? Why do we have, why is it 2022 AD? Even that is referring to Christ, right? There have been rulers and empires in the past that have tried to wipe away the name of Jesus. They have tried to do away with a lot of these things to change time. Well, the Antichrist is going to try to do away with any knowledge of God, any reference to God, any reference to Christ. He's going to fail at doing it. But that's what's going to happen in those last days. And so he's going to rise up. He's going to rise to this position of prominence. He's going to persecute anyone who serves God. He's going to try to raise them against God. And he is going to end up being destroyed. He's going to shed much blood, but he is going to ultimately have his blood shed. He's going to be cast into the fire himself, into the pit. He's going to go to hell where he belongs. Okay? And then at the end of all that, the final kingdom is whenever Jesus Christ will rule and reign. And something interesting that we find a couple times I haven't brought out yet is does Christ reign by himself? Who reigns with him? Okay, verse 18. But the saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. The saints will rule and reign with him. Who are saints? What is it? Okay, so all those who have been saved, all those who have uh, put their faith in Christ, right? All those who have been born again are going to rule and reign with him. Uh, we see that even um, let me see here. Verse 27. And the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High, whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominion shall serve and obey him. And so a couple different times here we see that the saints will rule and reign with Christ, that he has a purpose, a place, a position for all those who have served him, right? And so it's not just him that's going to be serving. So the message that's coming across to Daniel, Daniel is in captivity. He's been under Babylon. He's been under Persia. There's going to be others that are going to oppress him and oppress Israel and going to oppress God's people down through time. But as the angel tells him in verse 18, there's going to be a day whenever that's all done. Well, 17 as well. The great beasts, which are four, are four kings which shall rise out of the earth. But... But the saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom 
and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. And so whenever those beasts and those horns and that little horn, whenever they have ran their course, whenever they went as far as God will let them, says verse 22, the ancient of days came and judgment was given to the saints of the Most High, and the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom. And so whenever God decides that it is all done, it is all over with, that evil has ran its course, he is going to come down, he is going to judge this earth, he is going to cleanse it through the fires of his wrath and of his judgment, he is going to set down his kingdom, and he is going to reign with his saints forever and ever. And so in all this, we see God's program for the world. Daniel was at the beginning of all of this. All of this was all forward to him. But as we're sitting here now, the only thing that is left is this time that I've talked about of the tribulation period, which we'll look into a lot more in chapter number nine. Okay? And so that's the thing that's still left in the future whenever this kingdom is going to, this final kingdom will rear its head one more time before God puts it down eternally. And so for Daniel, for the Jews that were in captivity, for every, uh, every child of God that has suffered under unrighteous men and under uh, dictatorships and emperors and a corrupt leadership and everything else, they can look at this and say, look at what God's already done. Look at all these things that's already came to pass. And yes, it's going to happen for a while. It's going to endure for a while. But God gets the last laugh. He gets the victory in the end. He is the one who is going to set everything right. And so we live in light of that. We know that the way things are now are just temporary. When it looks like the wicked are prevailing, when it looks like Satan is in charge, whenever it looks like his people are winning, we know that that is only temporary. But that God has a plan and he will work it just the same as he has with the Babylonians and the Greeks and the Romans. He's going to work it with these things in the end times as well. And so the greatest lesson, I guess, that we can learn from all of this as we're studying prophecy is not necessarily the ins and outs of all of it, all the intricate details and what time this kingdom was and what time that kingdom was. The greatest thing that we can learn from all of this is that God is in control and that God has a plan that he's working out and that God can be trusted because he has passed the test every time and he's going to continue to pass the test every time. So we can trust him. We can sit here looking at this and say, okay, this is the way the world's going to work out. We're somewhere in between right now, but this is the way it's all going to wrap up. And so if I'm going to rule and reign with him, if he's going to win over all of this in the end, then I can take heart. I'm on the winning side and I can act like it now, right? We are more than overcomers through him, right? And so with all of that being said, I, I just, I find it amazing that Daniel got to see this when he did. I find it amazing that we have so much evidence in these passages that this is truly a supernatural book, that this is truly authored by God. I find that amazing, and I find it comforting. And so... As we look at the rest of these chapters in Daniel in the coming weeks, I just want you to keep that in mind as we see what God has already done gives us assurance of what he is going to do. And so we don't have to work out all the details. We don't have to get everything just right on this, but we know that he will get it right. And he does know what he's doing and that we can trust him. So with all of that, does anyone have any questions or any comments on what we look at tonight?
What is it now? We regret the one who was going to Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, if we go over to the book of Revelation around chapter number 17 to chapter 19, we find that the one world religion is working for the Antichrist mm -hmm. as long as it is beneficial to the Antichrist. And we find that there is a time there whenever the beast is going to slay the the whore mystery babylon which is going to be that one world religion and so that tells us also that the one world religion is going to go back to the babylonian roots idol worship and all that kind of thing and so it's going to come to the place that the antichrist is going to be supporting the religion and the religion is going to be supporting the antichrist and whenever the antichrist receives enough power and influence He's going to slay that religion and make the religion about him. And so, yeah, the religion's going to last until it's no longer needed for the Antichrist's um, plans and things, and then he's going to get rid of it, and he's going to be the one that's worshipped. And so, yeah, you see that, like I said, in Revelation 17 through 19, I believe. Is it? I think it's the right place. I know I've kind of skipped around in this chapter and whatnot, but if you just read through it, take some time and read through it and see what it says, it basically tells a, it basically interprets itself, doesn't it? Daniel says, I had this dream, and then this angel reveals to him and says, this is what each element is. A lot of times we make prophecy a lot harder than what it is, and I think one reason is that we try to... Uh, try to be too specific and try to pinpoint things. We try to tie it to different things. How many times have people tried to uh, claim that this this pope or this president or this ruler on the world stage is the Antichrist? Trying to figure out everything down to the detail ahead of time. Uh, but when we start date setting and trying to go that in depth, then I think we're in trouble. Anything else? Okay, if not, let's go ahead and we'll go to the Lord in prayer. And we'll call it a night. And uh, get back into it next week, Lord willing. Dear Lord, we come to you today. Thank you for your blessings. And we do thank you for the day that you've given us. Thank you, Lord, for your word that we hold here before us today, Lord. Uh, and Lord, for the way that you have uh, laid out in scripture these things these proofs these evidences uh, Lord for what you've already done what you're going to do and Lord we thank you that we can we can trust in you we can trust in your word and Lord just ask you Lord to help these things that we see here Lord help these people see them clearly I pray Lord help them Lord to uh, be strengthened in their faith through these things Lord and Lord just help us Lord to, to live for you and to be a witness in this world that you have us in Lord, we thank you so much for all that you do, all you're going to do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.